next and last stop is Atlantic Avenue Barclays Center. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. lot of Nets podcasts. I mean, Oof. the only Net fans you know, the only what, the only Nets fans you know, at least they've got some self-aware. I mean, come on, Look man. Where are these guys? Welcome back to the Only Net Fans You Know podcast. I'm Peter. Welcome to a special episode of the Only Net Fans You Know. As we're waiting for the offseason to start, I wanted to put out some content. I got Nets historian Rick Lachlan to join me to talk about Vince Carter in the post-finals years in New Jersey. There's some great talk in there and a couple interesting stories. Uh, my favorite being how Jason Kidd left from his vacation in Mexico to confront Rod Thorne and Bruce Radner after the Nets traded Kerry Kittles and Kmart and kind of the atmosphere around the team before Vince Carter joins the team. Let's get into it. Here we go. Hayes. Deflected. Carter goes back to get it. Three seconds left. Carter with two seconds. Carter for the win. Got it. Vince Carter has done it. Nets win in overtime. A three at the buzzer and a wild night at the Izod Center. Welcome back to the Only Net Fans You Know podcast. I'm Peter. Welcome to a very special episode, off-season edition. My guest today is a Nets historian. He's covered New York sports teams. He runs the website Nets Insider, and his book, A History of the Nets from Teaneck to Brooklyn, is the holy grail of Nets history. But most importantly, he's a lifelong Nets fan. Big thank you to Rick Lachlan for joining the show. Oh, good. And I can see you have some of those battle scars that I have following and being a fan of this team for, you know, 30 plus years. Uh, I kind of want to set the picture, set the scene. So I, I kind of wanted to just kind of put, put a little spotlight on, 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 uh, on this little era of Nets basketball. The main source of sports entertainment in Canada these days is generally Raptors basketball and all-star Vince Carter in particular, but not anymore. A Friday trade sends Air Canada to the Nets for Alonzo Mourning, two other players, and a couple of low-level first-round picks. Vince Carter as a player was ultimately in his prime, right? He's 28, 29 years of age, joins Jason Kidd, who had been coming off uh, two NBA Finals appearances, never had that really second star to play with. Now the issue, which Tim Capstraw alludes to in the book, was the identity of the Nets kind of changed after um, after Kenyon Martin, of course, they complete the sign and trade to Denver. The Nets were a run and gun team. They were defensive minded, right? I mean, they they were a handful for opponents to handle. And when Vince came in, he was the high-flying act. They got more athletic. They became more of an offensive-minded team. And they were certainly, look, they, they were a fantastic team to watch. One of my favorite groups as well was, of course, preparing the, the original, I would call the original big three, which was, uh, you know, Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, and Richard Jefferson. Richard Jefferson was always, you know, it's amazing, never named an all-star, right? I mean, he was traded right after he had a breakout campaign with the Nets when he was really going to be the guy. Uh, traded to Milwaukee for Bobby Simmons and E. Gillian and, and that package on draft day. So for me, Vince Carter was heroic in, in his span with the Nets. They just, for whatever reason, couldn't figure it out. It seems like things have come full circle with this Nets squad. 
that even with KD and Kyrie, they were electric as far as uh, a one-two punch, but they never had that big man in the middle like they had for so many years with Brooke Lopez. You know, they tried, of course, with Vince Carter, with Nadat Kristich. You had Mikey Moore. Uh, they could never get that uh, that presence in the front court to be able to stop the Shaquille O'Neal's with the Miami Heat during those years when the Nets lost them back-to-back, uh, you know, first first round and then second round game uh, contest against them. So the Nets had the star power as far as the roster top to bottom. They can never put together what they did those first two runs in 01 and 01, 02, and 02, 03 when they went to -to back-to-back championships. Again, they had a gritty team. They had a deep roster. They had borderline all-stars who eventually became all-stars in Richard Jefferson. Uh, Sorry, Richard Jefferson never made the all-star team. He should have. But Kenya Martin, of course, ultimately did. Uh, so it's funny because when you look back, Rod Thorne really trying to pick up the pieces after that Kenyon Martin sign and trade, getting rid of Alonzo Mourning, uh, and I believe Eric Williams is part of that trade. It was you know four or five pieces that went over uh, to to bring in, in Toronto, of course, because uh, Alonzo Mourning never played a game in Toronto. And you thought that Vince Carter was going to be that piece to put them over the top, but you had LeBron that was always in the way of the Nets. You had Shaquille O'Neal and Dwayne Wade that just were a cut above them in the Eastern Conference. They could never get back over that hill with Jason Kidd. And you just always wonder what that team would have been like building around a nucleus of Jason Kidd and Kenyon Martin. No disrespect to, to Vince Carter because he did everything and anything he could ask for of a star player. But you just wonder the team's financial situation with, of course, that planned move to Brooklyn that was basically eight years in the making was coinciding with that offseason. If ownership was fully behind building a championship contender, which you look back now and say they probably weren't, how would things have panned out differently with Jay Kidd and Kenya Martin there? And that's always the question that I ask. And again, this is not in any way a knock on Vince Carter. It was just the composition of the team when you have a centerpiece that was a part of back-to-back NBA Finals teams and you you sign and trade him away, seldom times does that lead to the team getting over the hump or, or even getting close to the success they had prior to trading. So talk about the atmosphere of the team. You talked about Kenyon Martin. Kerry Kittles got shipped out for a second-round pick. Uh, I think Lucius Harris just waved. He, after being a big part of these teams, he's just essentially just thrown away. Uh, I heard a story that Jason Kidd was actually on vacation in Mexico and he comes back early from his vacation after seeing the deals that, that were being done. And he was really, really unhappy. There was even a rumor that he might have asked for a trade to Dallas. Uh, talk about that. Well, well, were they ever close? I believe there was a deal that might have sent, uh, was it on? Antoine Jameson or someone like that? Antoine Walker and Josh Howard and a number one pick coming back to to New Jersey. How was the atmosphere of the team at that moment? They were a two-time Easter Conference champion squad, but they were starting transition under Bruce Ratner, who made their move to Brooklyn. Let's face it, he made it part of his real estate development plan. He had no vested interest in building a contender in New Jersey or cared about the, the, the fans in New Jersey or basketball fans at all. He used the Nets as basically a pawn in being able to get to Brooklyn as part of a bigger real estate development project that we see currently that stands at Atlantic Yards. And for me, again, the Nets at that point in time, you had Rod Thorne, who was a seasoned executive, the guy responsible, along with Jerry Krause, for drafting Michael Jordan in Chicago. He comes over as a well-respected executive, 
but he really had limited capabilities as far as what ownership was going to allow him to do. They were in cost-cutting mode uh, when the Nets ultimately were trying to move to Brooklyn like in 2008 through 2011 before Prokhorov came into the picture. There was the recession. There were a lot of financial factors that were were an imminent domain issues in Brooklyn. There were a lot of factors that were limiting the Nets trying to even get there. So they were not in, in a position where you saw, uh, let's push all the chips in the middle of the table and get this team over the top. This was almost as though we can't afford Kenya Martin on a max contract, but oh boy, we can't we can't also have an empty arena and and a, and a disgruntled star player in Jason Kidd. So we need to bring in a co-star for him. And basically, they, as luck would have it, they, you know, uh, Vince Carter was disenfranchised with the direction of the Raptors, and they were able to trade for him. You know, they didn't have to sign him as a free agent to a mega deal. It's as far as a star player, he was relatively affordable, wasn't going to break the bank. So it worked in that regard. But again, they weren't able to add the ancillary pieces. They weren't able to improve on the margins to make them a true championship team. And that was an indictment. Not on Rod Thorne, but on ownership because of the limited ability that he gave and him as in Ratner gave Rod Thorne to operate to, to build championship teams after those two finals runs. Uh, so, again, it's a sad, ironic thing, but, you know, it's the nature of the business and it's kind of the, the theme of the history of the Nets, always looking for that next arena, that next destination, that next ownership group that's going to try to build this thing the right way. So after Vince Carter's first year with the Nets, um, as we know, they got swept by the Heat, got killed in that series. I think maybe it was only one game that they actually came like close to winning. Uh, they, they needed some help, and they almost got some help when they signed a trade with Portland for Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Mm-hmm. That deal, supposedly Vince Carter was talking to him, trying trying to get him over. It would have added a nice power forward to the roster. Deal doesn't go through. He feels it's physical. The Nets have to make a deal because they have a trade exception that needs to be traded that day. They wind up getting Mark Jackson as a backup center, who doesn't even didn't even spend the whole season with the team. They wound up getting rid of him. How big do you think that would have been adding in Sharif Abdul Rahim to that roster, to that starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, he would have been. And look, was this a lesser Sharif Abdul-Rahim than in his prime years? Of course, you know, he was a, a, a player at that point that was starting to break down. You know, the fact that he failed his physical was really what voided the potential contract offer was that they had concerns about his knees long term. Uh, but let's face it. I mean, at that point in time, you had Jason Kidd. That's probably in 2006. You know, how many years left did he have at prime years? How many years did he have left even with the Nets altogether? Um, at that point, unless those were such dire, uh, you know, injury reports that came out about his knees, I don't see why the Nets didn't pull the trigger on that deal. And I would equate Sharif Abdul-Rahim to almost a poor man, Kenyon Martin. He would have been uh, probably a piece that, and you add maybe another piece in that backcourt, a solid backup point guard. You mentioned having Mark Jackson because that trade exception. Then also, they, you know, they tried in bring in Jamal McGlure. There's a whole host of net centers that, you know, you look at and you go up and down those rosters and say, man, if just one of those guys, Christich doesn't tear his ACL against the Los Angeles Lakers about 15, 20 games into that season, he looked like he's showing signs. You know, Jason Kidd was the kind of player, you saw it with that that Maverick squad that, of course, beat the Heat in six games back in, uh, I guess that would have been, what, 2013, 2014, well, you know, he has Tyson Chandler and he has all these guys that he's just throwing lobs up for. They, Mikey Moore was that guy for a while. And he thought that he could be potentially a long-term answer. 
So again, it just, you know, it seems the Nets just never have, and I, no pun intended, the stars align for them to have all these roster pieces in place to make a legitimate run. And when Kid came here, it was the Cinderella run. They were in a honeymoon phase where he was going to be the franchise savior, and he took a team from 26 and uh, 26 and 56 to uh, 52 and 30 at that point. So he doubles the win total in year one, finals appearance, losing to a Lakers dynasty. The next year, they have a 49 and 33 record. They kind of have a second half. They, they seem like they're a little bit bored waiting for the playoffs to start. They, they let the number one seed slip away, but they still make another run to the finals, push Tim Duncan and those and those Spurs teams to six games, have a lead midway through the, the third quarter into the fourth quarter, and then the bottom drops out from them. And that was really the beginning of the end of the jet of the, the Nets being true title contenders. because so they never got back to an NBA finals. They never got back to a conference finals after that 0-2-0-3 season. So this would be the 20th year now where the Nets have been bounced in the second round or earlier. And again, you just needed that down low presence and to build around a guy like a Brooke Lopez, which they tried to do for some time. They brought in Devin Harris, of course, in the, in the Jason Kidd trade, but they just never were able to rekindle that magic they had during that 0-1-0-2-0-2-0-3 season with Jason Kidd at the helm. Going down the timeline with Vince Carter, uh, I think it was his last two years he started the show Signs of Decay. He was still putting up 20 points, I believe 20 points per year in his last two seasons as a net, but he wasn't as efficient. Teams aren't making the playoffs. Jason Kidd gets sent out. Devin Harris comes in. I always felt like the teardown of that team was very disrespectful. You know, maybe I'm putting my opinion in, into it. Jason Kidd had the headache, quote unquote, headaches hmm. to get to Dallas. Obviously, he was healthy, but he didn't want to play for the team anymore. It was time to get him out. Vince Carter wasn't happy with Kidd getting shipped out. Uh, I always felt like Richard Jefferson in particular, being shipped out in that Milwaukee deal, was just uh, almost like a, a slap to the face. And in both deals, for uh, Jefferson being shipped out to Milwaukee and Carter being shipped out to Orlando, uh, the Nets really, I felt like, got like penny on a dollar. Like really, really selling low. And, and don't forget, go back to after that game six loss to the San Antonio Spurs. That whole summer was dominated about Kid going to the to, to the Spurs and a sign and trade deal that would revolve around Tony Parker and him and possibly picks, uh, you know, coming to New Jersey. And there was where there was smoke, there was fire. I mean, there was legitimately uh, more than a 50, 50 percent chance, according to Lawrence Frank and Jason and people close to him, that, you know, he was leaning towards going to San Antonio and, you know, being under Greg Popovich and alongside Tim Duncan. And, you know, he was sold on the fact that he did love New Jersey. He, he cultivated a great fan base here. They, they promised they were going to build around him. So he re-signs an extension with them. And what happens uh, immediately uh, is basically, you know, they, they don't re-sign Kenyon Martin. They have a signing trade for Kenyon Martin. Here's Jason Kidd, who's now on the other side of 30. Uh, he's looking around and saying, who's going who's gonna to get me back to and win an NBA Finals at this point? And that's when Rod Thorne pulled the rabbit out of the hat and brought in, of course, uh, Vince Carter. And, you know, the Alonzo Mourning experiment, frankly, just didn't work. I mean, again, you know, he had the kidney transplant a um, lot of issues there health-wise, but he was not a happy camper in New Jersey. And even, uh, you know, signing Alonzo Mourning initially, 
was uh, Jason Kidd was the impetus for that. He wanted that dominant big man, even though Alonzo was aging at that point, um, to be able to replace Kenyon Martin. So every move that the Nets made was to try to keep Jason Kidd here. And if you're a Nets fan, look, Jason had a host of issues off the court. But you can't hold anything against him as far as, you know, sticking it out through the fact that they went to back-to-back finals. He was courted by San Antonio. He was even leaning towards going to San Antonio. He stays in New Jersey. Then the first thing he has to deal with is, is Kenya Martin being shipped out after the 3 4 season. Uh, and then he ultimately, again, um, stays until that 8 season when you mentioned with that migraine episode. But Jason Kidd showed more loyalty to the Nets um, than any player would, you know, look at Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, right? I mean, you know, he stuck it out for those six, seven seasons with the Nets and tried to make it work, and it just didn't work. And that was, to my point earlier, it was just an indictment on the ownership group and the fact that they didn't have their sights set on building a true contender despite re-signing him to an extension. Now, that's a good point. You know, uh, maybe as a younger version of myself, I always kind of was upset at Jason Kidd for leaving that team. But that's a very good point that he did try to make it work for all these years. Supposedly, he was already set on going to San Antonio. You know, he he said even recently that it's a a big regret of his that he didn't go to San Antonio. You go back to the finals in 2003. That was a tight series. Yes. You almost beat the Tim Duncan Spurs, but you did not. And what really struck me was that over that next summer, the Spurs then turned around and tried to recruit you. Yes. What do you remember about sitting with Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan with them trying to say, okay, well, now come join our team? Yeah, that, that was good. After we lost that, it got really interesting because then the Spurs come call in and ask would I come join them. And I, I did say yes. You did? I did say yes. You said yes. I said yes in San Antonio because when I went down on my visit with Pop and Tim, I said yes. Um, and then I went home. <laughs> <laughs> And then things got changed a little bit because we did so much in a short amount of time. I just thought, oh, man, we can just keep this thing going. The only thing I regret is what would have happened mm-hmm. with Tim, Tony, and Ginobili. I, sometimes I think about what, what would have happened. It was just a very, very interesting story of those Nets teams, but just never got, you know, never got that last step, never got that last push. It's just it's just sad that this team and those teams aren't giving the due that uh, that they deserve. Do you think Vince Carter should have his number retired? Oh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that Vince should have his number retired by the Nets. I mean, even in recent years, look, he's he's kind of uh, buried the hatchet with those Toronto Raptors fans. There's been some warm reception to him finally, you know, up there in Toronto. So I would fully expect by the end of the day, of course, he's already hung them up, but in the coming years that his number would be retired there, you would hope. And then the Nets would follow in suit with that as well. The Nets have been late to the party. And when I talk about the Nets as an organization, as far as honoring their alumni, as far as honoring their history, nothing would surprise me at this point if they, you know, hem and haw or don't do it immediately, or maybe it takes five, 10, 15 years for them to do it. There was a whole list of the top, I believe it was 10 athletes in New York pro sports since 2000. And, you look at that list and, you know, of course, Eli Manning's on it, Derek Jeter, Martin Brodeur, 
And Jason Kidd was eighth. He was behind, I believe, Carmelo Anthony. He was behind Henrik Lundqvist. He was behind uh, a few other guys that I would say, well, boy, oh boy, how you'd have to argue that Jason Kidd is arguably in the last 20 plus 23 years, a top five, if not even higher figure in New York sports history. And the fact that he did so much with so little and in all the changes that were going on around him, as far as having one foot in New Jersey and one foot in Brooklyn, at the end of the day, you kind of have to um, be thankful for the time that he did spend in New Jersey and the time you got to watch him. And of course, there's never, divorces are never easy in real life and sports. And, uh, you know, it got ugly towards the end with the, the migraine issue and et cetera. But ultimately, revisionist history, he wishes he went to San Antonio. You know, I, I don't know anybody personally that would hold that against Jason had he won. And, you know, again, that's a lot to put on his shoulders. Had he won one title with the Nets, maybe that 03 series goes differently and he wins and then, you know, he leaves in 08. Uh, he, he probably ranks ahead of Eli Manning and right up there with Mark Tambrodor as the as the top New York sports athlete since 2000. In my mind, Jason Kidd's legacy as far as with the Nets and in basketball shouldn't, you know, be questioned at all. I'm going to start wrapping things up. I have two questions for you before I let you go. What is your favorite Nets jersey? All time. Yeah, I mean, it pains me to say it because I think it was that game three, right, in the 03 finals where they uh, – it, actually, it would have been game five then it was with the series uh, tied 2-2, and they wore their stars and stripes. They're trying to conjure up the mystique of those ABA glory days and Dr. J, and, you know, they just – they had a clunker in front of the home crowd. And instead of going to San Antonio with a scenario where you win one out of two and you win the title, you go down – three games to two, but regardless of that outcome, I still think those stars and stripes, the white stars and stripes with nets embroidered in red across with the red numbers, that to me is my all-time favorite. And a close, I guess, honorable mention would be the gray ultimate aways with New Jersey across the chest um, and the red racing stripes along the, uh, the embroider on the edge. Those to me are my second favorite and a close second. Yeah, the stars and stripes is a legendary jersey that should have been probably bought back a while ago. Next question. Are you a Swamp Dragons guy? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, to me, it, it would have been cute. I like the nickname. And, you know, even the people I talked to in the book and, and outside the book, at that time, of course, you had the expansion of the NBA with the uh, with the Grizzlies coming in. And, of course, they weren't the Memphis Grizzlies back then. And you also had the Toronto Raptors. And there was this wave of 90s uh, cartoonish characters like the Raptor that was in Toronto. And the marketing team for the Nets at that point kind of playing off that. I think it would have sold. I think it would have been kind of goofy. Um, but even David Stern, who, of course, the late former commissioner of the NBA, uh, thought it was a terrible idea. thought it was, it was too goofy, too wacky. But as far as trying to cultivate a young uh, group of fans, I, you know, I thought that you would basically get that 21 and under net fan base all riled up that would have thought it would be great. But at the end of the day, I'm so happy. The one thing the Nets got right when they moved to Brooklyn is they kept continuity. They kept the Nets team name. They kept that history because had they changed from Nets to Swamp Dragons, you know, it's almost as though it's entirely. And then they moved to Brooklyn and become the Brooklyn Swamp Dragons or another nickname. It would have just totally disrupted the whole continuity of the franchise. So I'm happy they kept the Nets. And again, you know, the reason being they picked Nets is because it's a basketball term, rhymes with Nets, rhymes with Jets, familiar term. Is it the is it the most innovative, uh, groundbreaking nickname ever? No, but you know it, it works and it has, of course, history since 1967 behind it. Okay, you got any plugs you want to throw out? 
Sure. So yeah, again, you can buy a history in the nets from Teaneck to Brooklyn. I have that available. If you want author signed copies, that's uh, on Twitter. It's at Nets History. If you follow on Facebook, there's about 2,500 fans on Facebook. That's at Nets Insider. Or feel free to even email me at it's Rick dot Lachlan, spelled like Laughland, Rick dot Lachlan at gmail.com. Happy to sign, you know, sign it uh, personally, make it out for gifts. Any net fans you may know, even basketball fans, as, as you know, Peter, there's a lot of just ABA, NBA history, a lot of nostalgia in there that's just really fascinating. Even if you're a Knicks fan and you want to learn about all the things, the way the Knicks were the big brothers and the bullies to the Nets, there's a lot that's in there during those ABA, NBA years. And then, of course, when the Nets moved to Brooklyn. So, um, feel free to you know reach out to me any of those ways uh, for a copy of the book. All right, guys, you could find us at at NetFans. You know, have a great commute, have a great lunch, have a great dinner, whatever you guys are doing when you listen to this. Be safe, be well, and uh, we're out. Kid, three seconds. Carter looking for the win. <laughs> <laughs>